This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good morning. What a pleasure to be with you today to to bring to a conclusion our sermon series, United in Jesus. Today we're looking at some of the apostles' words from Ephesians chapter 6, the concluding chapter. And so throughout the sermon, we'll be referring back to things you've already heard uh, as Paul gives us that concluding encouragement that we are fighting, but we're fighting the right enemy and we're fighting with the tools that we already have. Got to ask you, have you ever heard or seen this man, radio host Alex Jones? This fellow is known as America's leading conspiracy theorist. This is the guy who's accused the U.S. government of planning the Oklahoma City bombing, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and even falsifying details about the 1969 moon landing. And that's just the beginning. He claims that the president has access to weather weapons capable of not only creating tornadoes, but moving them around, and that Hurricane Irma was actually geoengineered. This is the fellow who got sued because he said that no one died at the Sandy Hook or Stoneman Douglas school shootings. They were just fake news created by gun control advocates. Or maybe you've heard of QAnon. This is the latest conspiracy theory that comes from followers of an anonymous poster named Q, who allege, I've got to read this because it's just too much, that Satan-worshipping pedophiles are running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against the president. And their eventual goal is that there would be a coup d'etat by Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. Of course, no part of these conspiracy claims have ever been proven true. There's just no facts to back them up. So why in the world do these things even fly in modern America? I like this answer. Someone wrote, Conspiracism serves the needs of diverse political and social groups. It identifies elites, blames them for economic and social catastrophes, and assumes that things will be better once popular action can remove them from positions of power. In other words, it's the same old temptation to point at somebody else, somebody different from you, somebody from a different social class, somebody from a different different political party, and say they're the source of all the problems. And if we just get rid of that problem, then everything will be better. Well, I have to say, on first hearing, it might sound like the Apostle Paul is promoting a conspiracy theory. He says to us in chapter 6, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But to understand his words, we have to take a short course on where Satan actually came from. Satan is an angel, a a spirit being, not flesh and blood like us, who was created by God along with all the angels to serve God and serve God's people. But the Bible says that there was a rebellion in heaven. It says, the angels did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Satan and his rebellious angels They didn't want to be servants. They wanted to be gods. And as a result, they were cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So the heavenly realms, that's where Satan came from, but he's not there anymore. And Satan is an angel, and he's angry, but he is not God. So it's not true, even if we want to claim it, that Satan made me do it. He can't force you to do anything at all. But realize, he is a great, great, great student of human nature. He observes you and he observes me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows when I'm hungry or horny or selfish or proud. The Bible describes him this way, that Satan is the one who incites, accuses, contradicts, lies, and tempts. He knows that until you and I reach heaven, we are living always with two natures. An old nature that just hates God and a new nature that knows our Savior and only wants to please God. And so we've already heard Paul talk about these two natures. He says, put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Satan only plays to that nature. And then Paul says to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So get rid of that old nature like getting rid of an old set of clothes. Very natural, isn't it? I mean, have you ever done that like like I have? Tried to hang on to some piece of clothes that you've had for 20 years? And then you pull them out of the back of the closet and you put those pants on and they still have pleats. You put on that shirt and the the lapels are about this wide. That is, if they even fit. The Lord is telling us what a blessing we have. He says, put on your grown-up clothes. Jesus and his righteousness, his holiness. So, who's the real enemy? Who is it actually? Is it someone out there? 
realize Satan is only the encourager. He's just the cheerleader. But the real enemy is right here. I think the classic example of this has to be the Jewish religious ruling council when they were plotting what to do about Jesus. And the Bible records their reasoning and what they said. They concluded, if we let this Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They sought the enemies as Jesus and the Romans and not as that crooked, twisted reasoning they were going through. All of it to save their temple and their nation. That kind of end justifies the means reasoning that says, yeah, we can put to death a perfectly innocent human being if it accomplishes what we really want. The Apostle Paul described, again, earlier in this letter, what happens to us when we let Satan encourage that old nature in us. He wrote, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. That's an ugly picture of both that Jewish ruling council trying to kill Jesus and also of what I sometimes do in my own heart when I'm trying to justify doing something that only serves me. And it's the Apostle James who warns us. He says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is, first grow, is full grown, gives birth to death. Or if you're as old as me, you can remember a cartoon that used to run in the newspaper called Pogo. Do you remember the famous line? We have met the enemy and he is us. That's the sad truth. And it hits so close to home We just don't want to admit it. But it hits so close to home that we can't help but admit it, right? And so that's why the apostle, when he gets here to the very last chapter, chapter 6, he writes to us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So how can I fight it? When the enemy is this close, we read, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That belt is most necessary because it holds everything else up. Not just your sword, but even just your pants. It's that lack of truth about ourselves and about our God 
that puts up that dividing wall of hostility. Remember that Paul wrote about? That dividing wall of hostility that in the Ephesian congregation was separating the the Jewish believers from the non-Jewish believers? If I don't know the truth about myself, I can't forgive others. The only thing I can do is think I am better than them. And that's what separates, that's what builds the, the dividing wall of hostility between real Americans and immigrants, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between employers and employees. Remember how Paul described all of those different relationships we should have? And he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Knowing that great truth. A a preacher said this better than I ever could. He, He wrote that Jesus is the one who says to all people, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, we will be blessed when we know that spiritually we're bankrupt. We'll be blessed when we know that there's nothing we can give to God to earn his favor, but he just gives his favor. He gives his forgiveness. And that allows us, in turn, to forgive others. That allows us, in turn, to be generous toward everyone. Well, the same preacher, he said, the problem with most of us is that we want to think it's blessed are the spiritually middle class, not the spiritually poor. You know, we say, well, I'm not perfect. Of course I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than most. I deserve forgiveness. The one who hurt me, they don't. I've earned something from God. And so when we read the truth, as we already read In this letter to the Ephesians, we read, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So first and foremost, buckle on that belt of God's truth. And then the next, Paul tells us, is a piece of defensive hardware. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness. For a soldier, a Roman soldier of Paul's day, it was a piece of armor that covered them from neck to thigh, front and back. This is the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness, which you've already been given. Jesus calls you his brothers and sisters, God's dear children. God sees you as forgiven and just in his sight. Problem is, of course, that we try to wear our own righteousness. And Satan knows us so well, he's such a student of human nature, he can puncture our righteousness like nothing. He's the great accuser who reminds us constantly of our sins. I always think how true that is. 
I can still remember getting caught shoplifting when I was in seventh grade. That was 54 years ago. Why can I still remember that? My sinful nature? Satan, the great accuser? I can remember angry words I spoke 15 years ago and and angry words I spoke five days ago. Because that sinful nature in us wants us to try to stand on our own and Satan is ready to just puncture that goodness right and left. Then history tells us that the great armies of the ancient world of Alexander the Great and the Caesars won many of their battles because of their great mobility. The apostle says, our mobility comes from feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In just a few weeks, we're going to be hearing God declare to us, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Because of our Savior, you have peace with God. He doesn't have a hostile thought. He doesn't have a hostile intention toward you. You are totally at peace with him. Do you understand the the mobility that gives you? The ability to take a risk, the ability to do things for Jesus, the ability to share with others that that gives to us? And so then rather than being paralyzed by worry and fear or going through life dragging around a burden of guilt and shame, We can do things for Jesus and for others in full freedom. In fact, this week I was thinking about a little phrase that someone else used. They they talked about selfish worries. And it made me kind of step back and say, what's a selfish worry? Well, that's all those times when I'm worrying about, well, am I perfect enough? Did I do that right? Did I say the right words? Did I do the right things? Those worries paralyze us. They slow us right in our tracks. God says, be of good cheer. Your your sins are forgiven. You can move and work freely for him. Then, of course, battle is full of sharp, dangerous objects. So the Bible says we take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones, of the evil one. Remember what we said, Satan is not God. He can't make us do anything. But he's such a great student of human nature. He knows your weaknesses and he knows mine. And he fires his arrows right at those. He's so effective. But again, realize that the strength of faith is not how strong you trust or I trust. The strength of faith is whom we believe. We have Jesus' strength. We have Jesus' righteousness. It's ours. And then even with all this other equipment, no soldier would ever go out on the battlefield without a helmet. 
And here in Ephesians 6, it says our helmet is the helmet of salvation. And realize how necessary that is. For a soldier, a blow to the head, whether that came because of the enemy hit him or because he simply fell and dinged his head, that would be the end. But for us, we have an ultimate protection. Something that we have right now that cannot be taken away. The Bible says you and I right now have the gift of salvation. He who believes has everlasting life. Those are Jesus' own words. With that helmet of salvation, you and I know that worst case scenario, what happens to us? We die and go to be with the Lord. That is real protection. That's ultimate, perfect protection. And then finally, last but not least, we have an offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Roman sword was very unique. It wasn't some long, skinny sword like a a fencer might use. It wasn't a saber for slashing. It was a short sword that looked like a big dagger. It was meant for battle at close range, for stabbing, deadly stabbing. And that weapon was deadly to the enemy as the word of God is deadly to my poison, sinful nature and to Satan. Just think about when Satan tempted Jesus. Satan crafted his temptations for Jesus perfectly. They were perfectly crafted for the Son of God. He said to Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, why in the world are you hungry? If you're really the Son of God, why in the world are you uncomfortable? Why are you thinking about suffering? If you're really the Son of God, why not just grab instant gratification and glory? Those are some good temptations. And in every case, like using that sharp sword, Jesus said to Satan, it is written. There is truth that kills your lies. There is truth that kills your temptations. There's truth that actually kills that warped reasoning you and I can use in our sinful nature. And that really brings us down to a takeaway that sounds too simple. Those Roman armies that Paul knew were insanely effective. They conquered an empire that stretched from India in the east to Spain in the west, from Great Britain in the north to Africa in the south. They were incredibly well equipped, but everyone acknowledged what made them so great and so powerful was that they were so well trained. The historian Josephus wrote about the Roman troops and he wrote, as though they had been born with weapons in hand, they never take a truce from training. It's almost too simple, isn't it? Every one of these pieces of armor that we've had described here, 
are things that you and I already have, don't we? We've got God's forgiveness. We've got his promise of heaven. We have his love. We have his grace day by day by day. And it's the word of God that brings that again and again and again to our memory, that strengthens our faith, that strengthens us against those temptations. Yes, it's a battle. Satan is tenacious. And he has that great ally right here, this close. But the whole point is that God has already prepared us. He's given us the weapons. He's given us the tools. And I know at this time, uh, especially during this, this time of, of, of the COVID crisis, we do feel cut off somehow, not being able to freely gather for worship, not being able to get the encouragement of our Christian friends. But there are so many of these, these weapons, these assets right there. Just go to votl.life. You can get the sermon deep dives and Study the word again. Let it implant in your heart. You can get the Advent Christmas devotions, Bible studies, faith resources, even parenting resources for those struggles. It's all a gift to you. It's all already there. That's how God's prepared you. Telling you, yeah, there is a real enemy. Too close for comfort but you are also perfectly prepared to enjoy Jesus' victory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.